It's Monday, May 24th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, fellas? It's going. We're doing something super cool today. Doing something super cool. What are we doing? What are we doing for the first time today? Not for the first time, but today we do have Twitch going live. <laughs> oh, I guess we've done this before. We okay, are doing Regardless this Regardless of if time, Aaron Russ. and uh, Tyler knew what was going on, this show has been streamed multiple times in the past. <laughs> oh, <laughs> streaming behind the back. Well, um, sometimes your computer automatically streams everything you do, and sometimes you don't think about it. All right. There you go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so streams. For those uh, podcasting folks that are into the Twitch realm, uh, we're now just going to broadcast this live. Got a few folks on this morning. What is up? Kieran Sheldon, Al Rashid. Good to see y'all. Thanks for uh, being here for us on the first day. I got to figure yeah, out how I'm going to read these. Inaugural <laughs> intentional TBP Twitch stream. Yeah, intentionally. There have been unintentional Twitch TBP. TBP yeah, unintentional is relative. <laughs> All right, let's get into. Bitcoin was unintentional. Wait, what? What? There, you went ahead and said Bitcoin. Now we got to go down this road. What'd you say about it? It's Monday. <laughs> somebody say Monday. Facebook. Oh, no, no. We're going to say Facebook later. All right. Here we go. Today in tech history. And these are actually today in tech history. Thanks to Kieran for sending them over with a little message that said, hey, I'm doing your homework for you. You're welcome. All right. The birth of Fahrenheit. Eight, oh, sorry, 1686. The inventor of the alcohol thermometer, the mercury thermometer, and the Fahrenheit temperature scale. Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit was born on this day. Happy birthday, Mr. Fahrenheit. Isn't that known as the correct temperature scale? Yeah. Isn't that the, the proper term for it? I believe. Yeah. I believe. Let's just go ahead and offend everyone by saying, everyone. yeah, it's the proper one because it's what we use in the US. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know what? I, Americans. I rag on the US for our, our choices of units most of the time. Um, but I actually. Is that a, is that a regular regular point of com- this does, conversation? It comes up comes up a lot. I rag on them all the time. For all the time, every chance I get. I think we should be kilometers per hour because I think base ten makes a lot of sense for most things because people can wrap their head around it. And and I would say in any sort of scientific pursuit, I would still yield even to Celsius for for reasons, but not really because Science there's something like super though. nice and useful about having. Uh, you know, zero to a hundred. Well, about Celsius. Yeah. No, no, no. But but Fahrenheit's actually still kind of useful. I just I like it. I don't know. It's I yeah. mean, it, it's 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 more interesting when you have this weird arbitrary freezing number that's not <laughs> anchored in anything normal, right? And then an even 32. more weird large number for boiling instead of having something like when water freezes be zero and water boils be a hundred like nah it's too easy it's too easy really yeah like you get lazy with that kind of ease (laughs) no nobody wants nobody wants to be lazy when they're talking about temps the date format (laughs) we're the only ones in the u.s that do uh the month and then the day and then the year everyone else does the day month year which i like that embarrassing for i like the day the rest of the world don't you think Man, I, I don't know. I'm on their side for this one. I think it makes a lot of sense. Whenever I iterate my files, uh, all that kind of stuff, I, I, well, we don't do it in our one note here, but I like to do day, month, year. But anyway, okay. 
let's uh let's keep the show moving all right let's uh fast whenever forward. someone asks you okay or what what date something is happening on what do you say first well i say the month first well that's embarrassing you do. just went against yourself it's <laughs> how we speak <laughs> colloquially but uh anyway whatever all right and there's kieran saying uh we should be doing year month day yeah all right <laughs> like I'm just saying, down. whenever you're looking into a calendar where do you go first mm. sitting on your calendar yeah it's year 2021 so you're already oh, in so you year, start with so the year say, go find so, this so kieran's right so far start with and the then year. you go to the month and then you go then to the you day. find the month then the day and then you and then you say the hour and then the minute so way, if to, anything, go, way to go kieran if okay. anything you Everyone's can start wrong. with the year Kieran's wrong. No, everyone's America wrong. Except for Kieran. Kieran's wrong. Right. All right, we need to start it over. It's 2021, <laughs> May 24th, Wednesday, Monday, not Wednesday, Monday at 8 a.m. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Anyway, okay. anyway, let's go. 1844, uh, Samuel Morse. What? I said that does not roll off the tongue. No. 1844. <laughs> it's actually kind of confusing. <laughs> 1844, Samuel Morse demonstrates the telegraph for the first time to members of Congress. And I was just reading about this before the show, and it looked like, let's see, Morse, an accomplished painter, he learned of a French inventor's idea of an electric telegraph in 1832, and then spent the next 12 years attempting to perfect a working telegraph instrument. And during that period is when he composed the Morse code, the set of signals that could represent language and telegraph messages. And then he convinced Congress to finance a Washington to Baltimore telegraph line yeah. And then on this right. day in 1844, that's when he sent the first commercial telegraph. Hey, I made this thing. Buy it. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then just a decade after that. So that was from 1844. And then to 1854, more than 20,000 miles of telegraph cable cr- uh, crisscrossed the country, cool. which helped the American expansion and making railroad travel safer and all that kind of fun stuff. Fun facts. That's right. neat. Let's move to today. What do y'all have? What? What are y'all looking got? at? Shoot, I, I feel like Russ already brought Bitcoin up, so I saw a thing. I think it's pretty, well, not surprising at all, but interesting that it's out there. Apparently, what Bitcoin dropped? Is that the thing? It's is back that, up, is bro. That the, is that the big news? <laughs> it's it's a, it's a Sorry, Monday. I was super annoyed over the whole freaking weekend with people losing their minds. Or, <laughs> it goes I mean, down fifty percent. It goes up thirty. The day ends in Y. Goes, Bitcoin gonna be moving. Yep. That's exactly right. No, the U.S. Federal Reserve has uh, posted a listing for public comment, basically asking whether or not it should back a digital currency or found its own digital currency. Wait, like a a digital dollar? Yeah, basically. Wait, our government is asking us what you think is asking us about currency. It's a democracy, Aaron. Yeah, they have to. This is unprecedented. It's not actually. We've been not, we've been they've been asking us of. stuff for a long time. Yeah, it's a joke. Do this thing called voting. <laughs> that's uh, that's how it. That's how gets it goes you down. some. Oh, <laughs> gets you gets you some votes. <laughs> uh, I, I I I don't know. I I think I. What is the benefit of the digital yuan over the non digital yuan that you could probably yeah. still access digitally? Yeah, which is a genuine question. No, I'm with you, and I don't. I don't think I have the answer. That's probably something we could look up, should look up. But I I think for me, the do I need a digital dollar? 
I like big question mark. How is that different from you know it's online credit, credit card, card transactions yeah. or you know the Swift and network in general? But that actually gets me to why my answer is probably yes. And if it gets us off the way that we settle transactions today to something that's more modern, and the way to do that is to establish a digital currency, then sign me up. I'm in. Sure. Like I will take a digital dollar that functions more like an efficient blockchain or block lattice or or something like that. That that honestly, that's just faster and traceable because. The, the obviously the physical dollar is only as fast as it can be moved. It's not traceable at all. Uh, it's also dirty and annoying. Um, but then the way that we use digital transactions, there's lots of middlemen, and it's not terribly efficient in the United States. Uh, not not to say that a point of sale transaction isn't efficient, but uh, what what tends to be inefficient at scale is moving money between people. And we can do small sums now with stuff like Zelle and you know Cross Venmo or PayPal, but it's all this these disparate services. If you had a digital dollar and you had a backbone for that, blockchain or otherwise, that would make that more efficient and would clean up you know eons of technical debt in the settlement side of things. Then yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Here's the question: Do we think they would use blockchain? Because I. I think I lean towards no. If I if I had to give an answer, I don't know what they would use. I just don't know that they yeah. would use blockchain technology. No, I, and I'm not sure they would either. I, I guess the but one of the, the why would they create a digital inherent advantages of blockchain is that trust factor, right? Like the, the fact that the ledger is there. If it's centralized, then there's no threat of you know bad actors taking over the network and, and double spending and things like that. So. You know, talk about a secure digital asset. A, a U.S. digital dollar is going to make a lot of sense. And if it, again, if it sheds technical debt, then why not? And I think blockchain, at the very least, is a competitor for why or how you would do that. But no, you're you're probably right. What else? What else could it, be done? Did the yuan use blockchain? I do not know. In their digital version? Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, pull it up. But yeah, I'm super curious what it would. Uh, what would that even look like? Like, I don't understand if you just say, hey, we're going to create a digital version of the USD. Like just something isn't isn't computing there. Well, I, I is think... Is it going to be a separate thing that then, that, that then yeah, has, a, the other has a digital USD to USD exchange rate? Because that's crazy. That I, It's possible, absolutely. Right? If right? it's a separate asset, right? And, Does it have and a supply cap? Are, are they going to... I? I mean, I almost would hope that the the answer is no, right? That they yeah. they use like a digital dollar would have a fixed supply, something that doesn't change, and you can you know in in the Bitcoin world you can transact with you know a trillionth of a satoshi, right? Um, because then they don't have to slash can't because it would be super confusing from a derivative perspective. They can't quote manipulate both the dollar supply and the digital dollar yeah. supply independently because that that could be like insanely volatile if you're changing well, then, the value of the dollar relative to you know global currency and yeah. you're able to change the digital currency to the US dollar like hopefully they would anchor them to each other in some meaningful then way why would we need that because we already have USD coin right that's a stable coin it's already pegged to it's the not USD centralized. runs on ethereum and, and i'm not saying that <laughs> pegs it's not sense. centralized no 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 that's well, why <laughs> yeah. would the federal reserve want a digital currency and the answer is control right it, exactly you you would not want a 
U.S. Federal Reserve digital currency if DeFi matters to you or decentralization right. is important to you because neither of those things are part of a U.S.-backed digital currency. Right. The fact that it is secure because it's the U.S. government that's operating it, that's a benefit, but you so lose a lot of why blockchain exists or, or why cryptocurrencies exist in that. So it, yeah. it would... The whole again, point is me, to have a centralized version. Up tech that. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point. So, yeah. So in my short amount of my, my short amount of research here, it looks like it, and it's it's not straightforward because the the article starts with China aims to be a global blockchain superpower, but then it follows forward with a <laughs> quote from someone who said something worth quoting. Uh, the co-director of the fintech research center at Fundan University. I don't know where that is, but sound legit. Um, you have Fundan uh, University. Yeah, it's like well, I think it's where Funyuns come from. It says, "Oh, it's in Shanghai." <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you have oh, central Fundan. central Fundan. bank digital currencies CBDC developed on various platforms such as Enterprise Blockchain, Corda, or sure. Hyperledger. And the digital and the digital yuan is technically not even on a blockchain. So yeah, it go. seems as though the viewpoint of this person is, is that the from a technical point of view, the digital yuan is not on a blockchain. But once again, the the start of this article was China aims to be a global blockchain superpower. So I don't know. It's very, so why, why it sounds like they... the answer is no. In, yeah, that's that's in, in, from confusing. A perspective. Sounds sounds a little clickbaity too. Why would they I, even I do it then? Well, I, I was reading one day. It, it very explicitly for more control. direct yeah. control over everything. More control. What was curious here too, actually, I'm reading a different article and it was saying that one of the, I mean, an individual was was uh, arguing that one of the reasons the digital one uh, could be better is that it's controllable anonymity is the quote that they've got. So you still have some degree of anonymity in transactions, which... Um, Let's find out more about how they're actually, you know, backing that digital currency before I even agree with that. But, but that they would still have tools that would help them uh, ferret out illegal activity, which sounds an awful lot like blockchain to me. I was about to say, right. I, was like, I feel like I've heard this before. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve. I think I'm gonna have to look more on this because I'm interested. Yeah. All right. The the whole blockchain not blockchain thing is is fascinating to me. I I don't know why, but I feel like there is a a future that we're going to live in, or someone of the human race is going to live in at some point in time, where the U.S. dollar is a digital currency, and some you know most of the currencies are are digital in some way, shape, or form. I mean, Space I think bucks. you know whatever it was a hundred, two hundred years ago. How how many years ago it was that we moved off of the gold standard? That for a lot of people still don't know we did. Uh, I think so true, right? I think that a lot of people back then would have probably said, "Well, we would never move away from gold. How would you quantify the value of a dollar?" So, I think that it is uh, what we say it is. You know, I think that we've seen similar types of shifts before. I think we'll see it again. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I was actually that. That's neat, by the way. If anybody wants to read up into the the shift from gold as you know the the I guess the global reserve currency to the U.S. dollar. Um, it, it's a really sort of interesting historical read. It was something I got into maybe a month ago based around a lot of this stuff because people are starting to say, you know, potentially the US dollar will yield to some form of digital currency as the sort of next 
reserve. But the the transition from gold, if it was Roosevelt's timeline, I, I forget now because um, I'm terrible with names of dates. Yeah, I don't but know. Um, it was basically in response to like sudden demand for making sure there was just lots of gold to be had. Like physically getting your hands on it became extremely difficult uh, globally. Yeah, it was, um, and, it was and it was slowing things down and creating issues in general. So it was FDR basically just said, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to, you know, print money and it's going to be backed by the full faith of the United States. And, and there, there you have it. And then it just became basically faith in the ability of the United States in that case to settle its debts, made it a good anchor currency for the rest of the world to use as a reserve currency. Yeah. And so the world pulled away from gold basically because FDR pulled away from gold and it has stayed that way since. Um, I, I think because it, it requires something more uh, significant to pull away. I, there were some arguments as stuff I was reading that the Euro could potentially make that shift. Right. And that, that isn't necessarily good or bad for the United States. It would probably devalue the currency. Some um, be, because Wait, what of, would, uh, if it if it lost world reserve status, right? Like oh, it, for it, sure, for sure. Well, well, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it, on the surface, it sounds like oh, that's bad, but really, it just it shifts the dynamic of the currency, which can improve the prices of exports, for instance, which becomes an economic boom, and things like that. So there are there are sort of benefits and detractors for the U.S. dollar being the world's reserve currency, but there aren't that many options right now that makes sense uh, because it needs to be stable, which I think anyone could argue right now, cryptocurrencies do not fit that bill, right? It needs to be stable, it needs to be secure, and you need to have faith that whatever whatever it is, is effectively going to pay its debts, right? Because you know, at the end of the day, it has a lot to do with effectively owning bonds and, and getting dollars from the US government at some point because you have a rate of return and it's guaranteed by the US government, those, those yeah. treasury... Yeah, the, the treasury's gonna pay you. Yep, it's been um, let's see, nineteen thirty. It's been eighty-eight years since uh, the U.S. was uh, was on the gold standard. June fifth, nineteen thirty-three. All right, let's move on. What do we want to talk about here? We want to talk uh, about. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Kieran actually posted a question in the chat that said, "Did anyone read about the two thousand eleven hack of RSA?" Uh, I'll pose it back to you. Um, I did. I remember it because it happened on my way to Italy and in, well, I should say in the transition when I was, when I was moving overseas for work, um, the, the RSA hack, when, when did it happen? It was either like some vacation. Anyways, it was early in, in my Italian, uh, trip. And I was caught in a position where my token was worthless, but I was outside of the U S um, and my phone died. So I lost all contact to the mothership for like a week Oof. because I couldn't, I couldn't access any systems because I didn't have my RSA token. I should have had an iPhone, bro. That would not have happened. It was a Blackberry. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you say that. And, and at the time, actually in 2011, uh, Lockheed Martin, at least, and I, I believe the rest of the, um, probably the rest of the uh, military industrial complex, sort of all of those companies, the defense industry, they had not approved iPhone or Android use yet, or it had just started to trickle out um, because BlackBerry was still sort of the de facto standard for secure mobile devices. Um, so 
I think I want to say right around that, like 2010, 2011 is when anyone was allowed to start getting iPhones. And it wasn't until I got back from Italy that, uh, that it was normal for Android or Apple to be an option at all. Anyways, I, just, I remember that. I don't remember reading uh, too much about the, the hack of time. I wasn't in this industry. It probably wouldn't have been top of mind, but it affected me directly, which was pretty annoying. Yeah, you wouldn't have been able to read much about it at the time. Um, I believe that. It has, the story has not been allowed to have been told until now. No. Uh, yeah. So there was cool. a unbelievably in-depth article. And, and as I've mentioned before, uh, so if Bunks, if you're listening, that 756-page document, it will take me easily a year to a year and a half to read. I am a slow reader. Like it just... I don't read things quickly. So I am working through this article. I read through some of it last week, um, kind of the probably first third of it. And it was incredibly interesting. What was more interesting was, was what ended up happening was there ended up being a state-sponsored attack, which we sort of know as normal now, which is a very unfortunate thing to be. Yeah. At that it's time, an everyday, every week occurrence now. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, it, it wasn't necessarily... Uh, seen as quite as normal. This is kind of one of the originators of like the supply chain attack. And so what's interesting is, is that the RSA team actually found this really early in the cycle of them gaining access. And one person in particular, I I don't have the person's name in front of me, but there was one uh, person who was part of the sort of the cyber response team who just, he was known as like a czar of finding hackers and he apparently found them like in transit, like mid hack was able to identify sort of their their order of operations and their, I'll just call it their IO path that they were working through within the system. And he identified what their final target was. And their final target was this uh, the server that held all of the verification keys to your little RSA dongle yeah. thing that you might have had or your app or whatever it might have been. The way to generate the, the exactly numbers, right? so they could have easily identified the the number needed to get into any system by having access to the system. And they basically put it into three zip files and they moved it onto a server hosted in rack space. And the reason why we know this is is because that dude caught the credentials of that unsecured server within Rackspace. That's nuts. And he logged into it while he was chasing them down and found the files. And (laughs) just before he hit delete, they, the files were gone. He literally was going to hit delete and and basically made the decision. He's like, I probably need approval for this but I'm just going to live with whatever happens and That's I'm deleting wild. this to protect the company. And he went to hit delete and he got a return back that said files not found. They had literally just scraped it off of the server. That's crazy. And That's gotten insane. away with it. Yeah. That's and so insane. his his immediate response when they're interviewing this guy was, he said he felt like at the time he was like, RSA is done. Like, we're Yeah, that's, that's like, devastating. Yeah, so it goes into a lot of other things like the psychological effects. Like I'm reading here, it says um, the report describes how the hack affected the psychology of RSA employees, making them intensely paranoid. They switched phone networks, they changed security in their building. Like they did all sorts of different things to try and help. But it was uh, 
like paranoia took grip of the company and would not let go for a lot of people. People ended up leaving. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, Cover the just, office windows and paper. Yeah. <laughs> started, yeah. They were, they were transacting yeah, everything in, in paper. Yeah. That's nuts. That actually, this is really funny. The, the engineer that you were describing uh, right at the beginning of the article, it's, it's just worth reading. His name's Lethem. Uh, and he is described as a bald bearded and curmudgeon analyst. One coworker described him as a carbon based hacker finding machine. <laughs> okay, it's <That's> awesome. <laughs> Curmudgeon-y. Nice. All right. Uh, what what uh, else do we have? You could read. Wow. I saw something in here. Y'all put something in on the F one fifty. We talked about yeah. that, right? And yeah, I don't think we talked about the Pro. Uh, and if we did, I missed it. Um, oh, there's a there's a Lightning Pro. Yeah. So is that so just the bigger battery version? It's not. Uh, in okay. fact, the only difference between the F-150 uh, EV Lightning um, and this new newly announced Pro version appears to be basically fleet software, which is, quote, included. So they don't talk about any kind of fees, but it helps you monitor remotely, like the location of the vehicle, you know, sort of the, the status and all of the alarms and stuff like that. And the, the starting price is a little bit higher, but it sounds like it it's just targeting uh you know the the working side of f-150 sales which is uh, and I, I heard about this where i was listening to some program that was talking about how substantial like um f-150 sales that go into business operations are and there was some speculation oh, yeah. about whether or not the quote retail f-150 was going to to get that done what was curious to me is that this announcement came after i heard that sort of stuff but really nothing technically changed. Same range, same towing capacity, same options as far as cab size and bed size. You know, 120 and 240 volt plugs are, are options and stuff like that, depending on how many you want. Um, the only thing that's different is that they have some fleet software that's that's included. Hmm. Okay. Can we talk about the fact that this is a vehicle that is named like a consumer electronic device, the Lightning Pro? <laughs> Pro Pro X2. Do you know what I mean? Yes, gross. Now I'm now I'm offended. I I, uh, I actually that. it's funny you say that. I was looking into because I know that F-150s are used a lot as as work trucks, mm-hmm. but I never thought about the idea that they would have a different line. Um, and so I just over the weekend when I had first seen it, I I was looking. I was like, did they always have a different line? And they never had a special name for it, but they did. Mm-hmm. They had it. They, they had a special line for like F one fifty. So they, they you know work trucks. Something. Yeah, companies weren't just going to their local dealership and saying like, hey, can I have like fifty white F one fifties? Yeah. They uh they had a, a specific line, a specific um I guess program in order for companies to go you know, buy and support them in bulk, which, which makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thing. It makes perfect sense. Sure. For whatever reason, they decide they need to brand it like the higher version of a phone. Now, this is really interesting because, because it's plug in baby. <laughs> because that's battery. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll get Ford's copilot 360 2.0 driver assist features. Uh, they, they also get, so the pro buyers will get access to Ford's digital fleet planning tool. I know this is what you're talking about, but there's some additional details in here. It yeah. takes into account lease costs, tax incentives, a worker's personal usage, and more. So it's basically helping the businesses do business with a fleet, right? It comes with uh, a 4G LTE modem, um, managers that can help monitor uh, kilowatt hour consumption, charging speeds, distance to empty, and more. That's crazy. Yeah, that was not in the article I read. That's great. That's actually a lot more information than, than was available in the, the high-level one that I read. 
that's cool. That's the, the lease information, the personal private use, like that's actually pretty valuable. The fact that it always has the, the 4G radio that that's included as well is interesting. I, I got to assume, especially when you add the 4G radio, that there's uh, some sort of monthly cost, or maybe you just have to purchase more than one quote unquote pro version sure. to get stuff like that. Like you have to have a fleet or it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see if that has any ramifications whatsoever for retail or if it is strictly available to the sort of corporate buyers, right? Yeah. There's just there's an interesting thing in my mind here where when you drive a Tesla, you're essentially driving an iPad, <laughs> right? And then now Ford's leading most popular vehicle has the name of a like a consumer device, right? A Pro Edition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you have a tablet and then you have the Pro Edition and you have a phone, you have a Pro, you know, you have this software package and you have a Pro Edition. It's you crazy. know, it's funny you say that. I was um, over the weekend. My well, my my daughter, you know, I, uh, I built her a Jeep. When I say built her a Jeep. I bought her one of those plastic electric Jeeps that you have to assemble when it gets here. I like to say I built a car just like Buley. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, I was thinking about like the amount of charge time it took and how long it runs just because we've been thinking about those things for, for a while now as it relates to, you know, actual electric vehicles. And people always make the comment about, you know, the range doesn't matter as much. You're you're charging at home, yada yada yada. And I thought to myself, like, have I ever once thought about the total miles that I got out of a vehicle from a, from gasoline? And I never have, not once. And it no. was never a, a factor in my purchasing decision. It was Wait. never a factor in in anything as far as like I was never like the maximum number of miles you could go in a single tank of gas is that what you yeah literally never thought about it like I never like my truck for instance a lot my my truck gets because it it tells me it'll get you know 400 ish miles out of um out of a tank right and I whenever I bought that truck I did not go into the dealership saying hey I need to make sure my truck gets at least 400 miles to the tank (laughs) That's, like, that's actually really but, interesting. But it is something that I think about when I think about my phone. For instance, sure. I am under the belief that the the goal of battery should be for basically a phone manufacturer to create a phone that cannot be killed under any circumstances within 16 hours. Like day one, the battery should be so strong. And that's how you get Skynet. Cannot be killed within 16 hours of. Put of it down. It. Put it down. I, so, I draw. You can't be killed. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And so, so what? I mean, it's Russ, a bad joke. Well, I just yeah. didn't want to. I didn't want to drift too far from. Uh, I'm I'm loving the fact that we're now doing this on Twitch, and I'm, we're getting a bunch of comments. So, first of all, getting made fun of. We're talking about trucks, right? And I got my truck stuck in the mud. So, of course, you're going to see that comment. Uh, and then, so uh, Mr. Zook brings up uh, why sell it as a different model versus software upgrade. Automakers should consult software companies as they embrace this new era. Yeah, they should. Especially when nothing else is different. Yeah. Right. You get the LTE card and you get some software that should just be an add-on. I think that in some respects, uh, some of these automakers actually are consulting software companies. I know that uh, Google in particular is about to explode Android auto specific usage because they're going to be putting, well, I don't know if it's actually Android auto. It's the Android operating system is going to be in a lot of traditional automakers cars. Like even I think Apple CarPlay will be running on top of Android operating system that operates the vehicle in the background. And so there's, there's just a lot of things that are going into just the, the operating system side of what's running the vehicles. That's going to be an interesting 
change here uh, from my perspective anyways. And, and Kieran wants to know if the, uh, the lightning has a curved screen. Jesus, it better not. <laughs> With side edges <laughs> that you can accidentally touch. <laughs> I will. All right. We're running out of time here. What else? What other big topics we want to get to here? Um, the, uh, the two things. One is sort of funny. I'll, I'll name the funny one first, which is Sirius XM is, is starting a TikTok music channel to appeal to the teens. That's actually how the, that's how the article is written, appeal so to all, the teens. All they do is play songs <laughs> to get <laughs> to the teens. So all they do is play songs that you would hear in TikTok videos? Uh, I guess. I guess they just play like the top, you know, the top 20, top 40 TikTok. That's songs. sort of what it seems like. They're going to take basically what is the the most popular music being played in some <laughs> form of videos on TikTok. And it is going to be played over Sirius XM and Pan- Pandora because Sirius XM owns Pandora. So that's um, Sirius XM TikTok channel coming to you live. All I can oh say God. is, is finally, this is what we needed. I, I had I am I'm ordering series today based off of oh. <laughs> I I don't know no. so anyway so that's, that's that's pretty bad and, and I wanted to get y'all's take on this other thing that I was complaining about on Twitter that a couple people basically just said get over it we want to get your opinions on it so Twitter Spaces is going to be doing ticketed events right but for every person that pays whatever did you charge them five bucks ten bucks a dollar oh, whatever it is say it's a dollar. Apple, if it's on, if it's on, you know, iOS or Google, if it's uh, Android, et cetera, they're going to take 30 cents off the dollar for every person that signs up right out of the gate. Twitter is then going to take 20%. U.S. government is then going to take 25%. You're left with like 32% or 28% of, of each dollar. My argument is why even do it? Why even charge admission if all the money is going to the Somebody platform else. owners? I, d- I did and- see... I, I saw your tweet on this and my immediate thought was, and I, I always, I take this back to the game side of it. Cause I've had the, the argument about steam for years, but it's like either one of two things is going to happen. Let's just say that they're going to do this charging piece. Let's for, forget the idea of not charging and then doing whatever your product is in the event. I know that was your kind of your take on it. One of two things is going to happen with the charging model. Either the tickets will be too expensive based on all the factors you just said. Yeah, for people I need to make it. this much money and the 25%, it's got to be this high of ticket price. Sure. Right. Or it won't be profitable enough to make it worth it. And people won't but it. if they continue to do it, then that means it is profitable enough and the market can bear the cost. Yeah. Yep. Which means none of that stuff, I almost went the other direction with that, matters. And I say that because... People compete against Steam for years, and they complained about the 30% cost that is arbitrary and there's collusion. Tyler, we all know. <laughs> but then they went and they made their own platforms for years, lost a they lot of money successful. in doing so, and then went right back to Steam, where people yeah. actually buy games. Yeah. So, like, fair point. And I'm not arguing in favor of like Apple's 30% or Steam's 30% or anything like that, but I am, there are market dynamics at play here more so than just like, they shouldn't make that money. <laughs> like that's that's how these things get decided. So I, I feel like there's an element of like if this becomes successful, and, and this continues to go down, um, yeah. I don't know. Then 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 it'll it'll work itself out. But I could I could be wrong there. There's I mean that but that's the way I view it initially because that's don't we sort of have a built-in system that manages these types of things? 
uh, in and of itself. So I don't know. Yeah, but, mark, market but, economics. I, I think I think they. What'll be curious to see, especially with all of the uh, you know court-related antitrust stuff that's going on right now, is is the market able to actually let price discovery happen right now, or are the gorillas in the room controlling how that market dynamic works? Right, because the issue isn't thirty percent is bad. The issue is thirty percent is arbitrary, and it doesn't seem that the market can manipulate what that 30% looks like. It's 30% everywhere. And it appears to be that way because there are a few players that are holding those purse strings and preventing it from moving in any direction. And that's a problem because what you said is right. But if the market can't actually find the right percentage to make it work, then something nefarious could be at play, right? Yes, but I think... So my argument... I think against that, and I'm going to use Steam once again as the example. Yeah. No, it's a good example. Then all of the publishers in the world should have just never put their titles on Steam. Right, but they wanted the money. I'm with you. It's like yeah. music and streaming, <laughs> right? Like you know? it, CDs yeah. were wildly more just, profitable at, at yeah. a dollar. I just a song. struggle. I just struggle with okay. Steam takes a percentage of the purchase of the game cost. But then all the in-app purchases, they're going to take 30% of all that as well. That's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I just haven't found that happy place in my mind where well, every V-Buck well, because, that's bought, well, they get 30% they, of it. Okay, well, right? here's the struggle, right? If they don't, yeah. t- if, they, if there is no upfront game cost purchase, then I you know, get yeah. free distribution. Yep, I know, I know. You're right. I know I'm right. Yeah, yeah but, no, but the distribution side, saying, actually, I'm I completely right. agree with the distribution I haven't side. found that happy place and, in my mind. Honestly. And I'm going to touch on this and then I got to shut it down because I got to run here. Yeah, but cool. but the, there's a good uh, article on uh, protocol um, about uh, Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers, um, who is presiding over the Epic versus Apple antitrust trial, right? And she spent a long time asking uh, Cook, Tim Cook, lots of pointed questions, which hints at how she's looking at, at judging on this, right? Or ruling on it, sorry. Um, and one of the, one of the things that jumped off the page to me is that she really got into where the app store makes its money. And, and the answer, not surprising, I'm sure to Russ at all, maybe to our listeners is that most of Apple's app store revenue comes from games and in-game purchases in particular, because as we've discussed, it is a massive market, but what she started to get into is well, why do you allow other free applications to operate on your platform, like banking or buying and selling of goods that you don't take a rake of what's happening internally? And is rather a a long winding path, I believe, that got them there. But she basically came back and said, it looks like you are charging the gaming industry for in-app purchases and restricting their ability to let players choose to purchase in-game currency on alternative platforms as a way of subsidizing everything else on your platform. So it's not about profit and regularity in the marketplace. It is somewhat arbitrarily targeting gaming because it is very profitable for you, but other platforms get different treatment. And, and that was really interesting to me. There's a... Yeah, uh, let me, uh, I know, I know uh, we got to go. I'll just mention sorry. this real quick. Yeah. Because I'll try to remember to bring this back. I yeah, mentioned yeah, Ben Thompson yep. uh, in the past. He he does business analysis. That's what he does. Stratechery is his website, and he has he has another 
podcast called Dithering. It's part of his paid subscription, but he combines it with someone else, another analyst. And they have had this conversation multiple times. And he's gone into depth on the idea of games are different. And he's very specifically discussing the App Store. I'm not saying he's right, but he has an interesting perspective uh, on the idea because he's brought the, the same point that you just brought up and or that she brought up, I guess, technically. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that was has, has been brought up multiple times before. And, and so what Ben's idea was is what he basically came to the conclusions of, yes, that is true, but games are different. And yeah. so it's an interesting thing. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out and try and get the premise of it, uh, but yeah. I'm going to try and remember to well, do so. Wait, share it out me, so we can let all say one last thing. Like let me say one last thing and shut it down. I know we've kind of each done this, but uh, Kieran just added a good point on the Twitch chat. If you paid to hear someone speak at a conference, how much does the venue and event organizer take? Should Apple be classified as the venue and Twitter takes event organizer fee? Like, think about it that way, right? And, and sure. I think about it too from a concert perspective, right? Uh, same sort of same sort of concept. So that's a, that's a solid point. You guys make solid points. I'm sure I'll come around to it. It just feels, it just feels. I don't know. Not necessarily stating right or wrong here, but the yeah. there, there's always this weird thing that people have with like how much money someone makes, and that ultimately makes them bad. But once again, I will I will I will restate. Most people do not understand the margins that companies operate on. Yeah. And if they did, they wouldn't agree with them, but they couldn't tell you why. Yeah. And, and, and the reason for that is because people have this inherent belief that you shouldn't make a lot of money off of something. And if you are, then you're being taken advantage of. And I think we would know that's really not the world we live in. That's not no, the way it works. Not. And none of this stuff would work if everyone operated on some theoretical 1% margin that everyone who has sure. no idea what's going on thinks that people should operate on. Like well, Apple wouldn't exist. If they, I think it's more Shut than it that down. too. Like people are getting really defensive of what they think is the, you know, the product they're buying, right? So they want the creators to get more. The music industry has been like this sure, forever. Yeah. It's like you yeah, want, want to my see the creator the money, get the yeah. money. But, yeah. but what we forget, and I think what you were getting at, Russ, is that the music probably wouldn't have even gotten to your ears if it wasn't for all of these things in between that make that possible as a platform. Correct. And and then Save for the, internet. the arguments. The internet like, changed get, that. In a lot of ways, yeah. Uh, it made it more profitable for, for creators, but less profitable for the middlemen. And that's, and that's where I think this comes back to a lot is that 30% is so arbitrarily fixed in space and it doesn't represent any sort of ability to fluctuate. It, it is very locked in by those platforms. And so... Maybe a democratization of how things like that get charged. Is All comes necessary. back to Bitcoin, baby. Booyah. And on that <laughs> note, shut it down. We're going to shut her down. Thank you for joining us for another Tech Breakfast podcast. That's it for today. Twitch was fun. Uh, let us know if you enjoyed that uh, extra way to interact with us. I, I got to admit, I was pretty bad at tracking that, but Billy was on point. So um, that was really cool. But thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you guys on Wednesday. Peace.